Good morning and welcome to Lancing Tab and welcome to a new series as we move into the book of James. We've been looking at Mark's Gospel and it's been really very exciting and very good to be able to think about our Lord Jesus and the way in which the path to the cross was paved and he walks along that journey and we know he goes to the cross, he dies for us and he rises from the dead. And after he rose from the dead, there was the time when the Holy Spirit came and the church came into being. Now the church was initially uh, a group of people who were Jewish people who'd understood perhaps in some measure or other about the prophecies about a Messiah, but the discovery that Jesus truly was the Messiah was something that was going to uh, come massively when the Spirit of God is poured out after Jesus has risen from the dead. Up until then, there were some who really had the sense that Jesus was the Messiah, but a lot were not sure. But when he rose from the dead, well, for those who came to know the risen Jesus, there was definitely no doubt he truly was the Messiah. But it's interesting that we know there was about 120 people who gathered in the upper room before the Holy Spirit came, and we don't know all their names, but what we do see and understand is that one person who was there, among all the others, there were people like Peter and there were people like John and Thomas was there and Andrew and a number of others and the women of course they were there too the Marys they had gathered together but someone who was there was James the brother of Jesus and when we say the brother of Jesus he was if you like a double brother because he was a natural brother natural in the sense that he came from the womb of Mary but he was a supernatural brother because after the resurrection he came to a faith in Jesus as his saviour and his messiah and so this letter of James was written many people believe he is the Lord's brother and it's great how he had grown up in the house and he'd witnessed Jesus and he'd undoubtedly got involved in some of the things that were happening. But generally speaking, while Jesus was in his public ministry, there's not much of a sense that the brothers and family members were particularly clued in or really uh, appreciating, enjoying the nature of who Jesus really is. But we know that James did come to a personal faith. And may I just make this point that uh, you can grow up in a Christian household. You can have a mum and dad who love the Lord and maybe brothers and sisters in the family who love the Lord. But that will never, ever replace your need to come to know Jesus yourself. You can't have an adopted faith. It's not something that can just sort of be attached to you because family members believe this and so somehow it's rubbed off on you. It may have rubbed off on you to a point, but it's not actually a personal faith until you 
trust Jesus. And so the letter of James comes from the brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, but now someone who has come to know Jesus himself in a very personal way. Who does he write to? Well, he's writing to, again, predominantly uh, Jewish believers, and he's wanting to encourage them because we know that, uh, yes, there, there is the day of Pentecost, and uh, we will come to that in terms of our church calendar a few weeks' time. But, uh, yes, they, they had uh, this knowledge that Jesus had risen and the Holy Spirit had come. But what's going to happen is, is that after some incredibly heady days of seeing loads of people come to faith and uh, seeing some wonderful healing and demonstrations of the power of God, what's going to come upon the church is persecution, intense persecution. The hatred that will rise up in the hearts of those who are determined to exterminate Christianity and as it were, put to death once and for all uh, their belief that Jesus was an imposter, he wasn't really from God at all. This surge of trying to wipe out Christianity is going to be very, very strong. And so James wants to write to people who are going through trial. He wants to express ways in which we can handle that. And he's also wanting to just uh, demonstrate and share that a living faith needs to be accompanied by works that show the depth and sincerity of that faith. This is something that's very important to James. In fact, some saw it uh, looming so large that they uh, wondered and questioned James. Uh, surely it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. That's the important thing. James is not saying that faith is unimportant, not at all. What James is saying is this, yes, have faith in God, have faith in Christ, believe in him and him alone for salvation. But if you truly have faith, people will see in your life a difference. There will be good works, there will be those evidences that show that you're truly in touch with Jesus because Jesus was known, yes, as a fantastic teacher, but he was also known as someone with great compassion. The scriptures talk about someone doing good and blessing uh, the multitudes. And so James is really wanting to say, yes, in times of trial, I've got some words to encourage you. But uh, as far as the way you live is concerned, let people be one for Jesus not because of your rhetoric, not because of your teaching and words alone, but let people see your life and be persuaded to come to Christ. So James, in the early part of this first letter, says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, a lot of people look at that and think, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Pure joy, and I'm going through terrible things, and uh, people are hating me, and people are making life very hard for me and difficult for me. How can it be pure joy? But, but James is saying, actually, 
it's the reason why you're going through this. This is what can give you joy. If you're going through trials and difficulties because you keep making mistakes and because of uh, things about you and your personality that are clearly not good, well, that's another matter. But he says, you're going through these trials because of your love for Jesus. You're going through these challenges because of your faith in Jesus. That's why people have turned against you. And in fact, it's not really you that they're turning against. What, what is going on, the dynamic that's at work, is that they're seeing Jesus in you and they are reacting very strongly to that. What James is saying is this, your faith is being tested. Now, he does go on to talk about temptation in a few verses time, and we will come to that. But it's important to note first that uh, what he's talking about is testing that sense of even the grace and work of God to want to show that what you have come to believe is real and uh, it's evident in your life even through times of great difficulty and pressure. God allows us to be tested. It's not because of any sense of lack of trust. Uh, what he's doing is he's saying, I will allow you to be tested because I want people to see that Christians are Christians under pressure. Christians are Christians even when everyone seems to turn against them. Your faith in Christ is unabated despite your circumstances. If people say, oh, it's okay for them to be Christians, they never face any difficulty, they, they never see anything go wrong, they, they never have a problem, it's easy to be a Christian. But in actual fact, what the testing of our faith does is demonstrate the depth of it. It's not shallow, it's not superficial, it's not like a, a good weather Christian, that when everything's going well, you're a great Christian, and when things go badly, you're almost abandoning your faith altogether. Now, James is saying there is a trial, there is a test that comes even from the hand of God because God delights to see his people come through testing because it speaks to the devil, you are genuine. It speaks to the world, you are genuine. And in fact, more people are persuaded to put their faith in Christ when they see Christians going through trials than if they do get the sense that Christians never, ever face difficulties. So the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And uh, this perseverance produces maturity and a sense of completeness. Therefore, I especially would like to encourage those of you who've perhaps recently come to Christ and uh, you, you, you've had that time of a great joy, that, that sense of the forgiveness of God and everything has become new for you, but maybe in recent times you've really been going through a lot of difficulties and God wants to say to you, hold on, don't give up because I am allowing this 
so that people will look at your faith, look at your trust in Christ and see, wow, these people, they may have lost a loved one, they may have lost their home, they may have gone through all sorts of things, but they still trust in Jesus. You know, their income has plummeted, but they're not in despair, they're still trusting Jesus. And that isn't just for people who've been Christians a short time going through trials. You could have been a Christian for many, many years and find that different circumstances are really challenging you as to what is happening, what is God doing. I don't think there's anyone who doesn't at some point have the question in their hearts, why has God allowed this? What is happening? Why hasn't he stepped in? And it's not an easy situation. And what James then moves to is, is a verse which uh, we often quote and maybe a little bit out of context, but it's really this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and you will receive that wisdom. What James is talking about is the wisdom to know what God is saying, even if everything seems to be falling apart. What is God saying when you're going through, as it were, the fire of trial? What is God saying when things seem so hard? What is God saying? There's a wisdom that comes from God and you can find that wisdom. You can find the voice of God in the midst of the storm when things are being battered and when certain things seem to be undermined and foundations are challenged, the wisdom of God will help you to see what God is doing. And when you can see what God is doing, that is going to give you such a strength. If you feel that God isn't doing anything, or that it's all the devil, that is very discouraging. But you can discover the word of God, the wisdom of God, the sense in which God would say, it's okay, I'm in charge. Of course, we have the classic example when uh, the disciples are on the boat and the storm blows up and they're all thinking they're going to die and Jesus is asleep and they wake him, don't you care that we perish? And we know that what Jesus says is that, uh, well, he first of all, he stills the storm and he brings things to a place of peace. But then Jesus says, where was your faith? You see, this situation, you saw it initially as an occasion to bring an end to you. But Jesus says, that isn't what was happening. What was happening was an opportunity for you to say, whatever's going on, I will trust in God. And we need that wisdom just to be able to perceive the presence of God, the word of God, the voice of the Lord, even when sometimes things seem to be going horribly wrong. But uh, James says it is important when you come and talk to God that you come with a very uh, purposeful heart, that you don't come looking all ways at once. I mean, can you imagine if somebody's looking in every direction crossing the road, there's every chance that they might get hit. You need to look carefully. You may follow your code of turning, looking left and looking right and so on. 
but but you've got to do it in a in a very uh, thoughtful way. It, it's not just a ritual that you rush through. You are positively looking to see and know: is it safe? And uh, when we come to God and when we ask God for help, I know sometimes things have happened, things have gone wrong, and it is hard to kind of have a measured approach, but it's really important to really make an effort just to say, Lord, my emotions are running absolutely out of control and I, I'm almost tempted to scream whatever, but, but it's good to say, Lord, I just calm myself before you. What are you saying? I want to hear from you. I don't want to have loads of doubts and questions. I simply need to hear from you. And so James talks about humility. He talks about the fact that uh, life is, is fragile and, and we really need just to rest in God. But I want to come now to verse 12 where James says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. What James is moving now to is something different to a test. This isn't about a test. This is about something which is trying to entice you and press you and push you into a sinful situation that in your heart of hearts you don't really want to fall into. And so there's two things. There's the test where God is allowing things to uh, see the depth of faith, the deep trust that we have in God, sometimes with tears running down our face, but we're saying, Lord, I still trust you. I still believe in you. Even though all these things have happened to me, I'm still trusting you. But there's another dynamic at work and that is the devil trying to entice and lead us into all sorts of sin. It can be into anger, it can be into lust and sexual immorality, it can be into greed, it can be into pride and just looking after ourselves and neglecting others. But this kind of test, this kind of trial is, is different because God isn't uh, trying to make us sin. God isn't saying, oh, uh, allow all these circumstances uh, so that somebody can really fall flat on their face and uh, reveal what a miserable sinner they are. That, no, no, it's the devil who wants to cause us to trip up. He is the one who wants to sow into our minds a train of thought or a pattern of behaviour that ultimately will lead to destruction. And he's very good at it. And... Uh, it's very easy to fall into that uh, allurement that is part of his tactical uh, desire to bring us down. But what James is saying is, when you go through times, when you are sorely tempted to take the shortcut and to move in a, in a direction of corruption, dishonesty, fraud, whatever, all manner of different ways that uh, the enemy is wanting you 
to fall short of God's standard and to fall headlong into sin. James is saying, you are blessed when you say no. No, no, I'm not going to walk along that road. And of course, one of the most important things in dealing with temptation is to say no as soon as possible and as strongly as possible. You know, the enemy, he's so, so deceitful. If he thinks he's got a chance, he's going to uh, do everything. So if you, if you say no in a half-hearted way, uh, he, he knows about that. He, oh, they don't really mean no. You know, if I keep providing this opportunity and that opportunity, I'll get them in the end. They'll fall in the end. But our no means no. And uh, this is why we have these, uh, these phrases about after desire has conceded gives birth to sin, sin when it's full grown gives birth to death. There's this whole process of the enemy working in on our fleshly desires, trying to just talk about our, our bodily needs. And, and this is an area where we can be so vulnerable. Remember what Jesus said in the garden, he talked about this, he said, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And you know as Christians that is an incredible reality. You know in the depth of our spirit we've been born again, we've come to know Jesus, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we have the whole sense of Jesus risen from the dead and it's strong. But our bodily needs, sometimes our hunger, uh, all sorts of areas to do with satisfying the flesh. The devil works on that very hard. But it is important not to be dragged along. Because once you get dragged along, you can reach a point where you will find it very hard to say no. You remember, uh, there's the story, uh, many stories in the Bible, but... Uh, the story of Achan in, in the book of, uh, of Joshua and, and the battle. And he's told, you know, like the others, don't steal anything, don't take anything. The plunder of Jericho, you're to leave it alone. But the Bible describes the same process that James does. He, it says when he was on the raid and uh, they were seeing the victory, he, he sees this beautiful uh, shining mantle and uh, he looks at it and he thinks wow that would be nice and uh, the more he looks at it the more it draws and draws him so then in the end he picks it up and he takes it back and he buries it in his tent but God's seen it and there's going to be a tremendous lesson for the people of God he broke covenant he did what God had told him not to do and that process of seeing the beauty of the object and all of that, he's going to really fall down big time as he gives in, picks it up and takes He never gets the benefit of it. Not that he should have done, but he doesn't because he buries it because deep down he's ashamed. He, know, he knows that he's done wrong. And so often that happens in the allurement of sin. People do things and... In the end, what they thought was going to be so good and so great and so tempting and all of that 
uh, suddenly it's a disaster, but it's too late. And we know that Achan was actually stoned because the people of God were called upon to judge him because of his disobedience. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. What I want to say uh, at this point is this. I, I want us to notice in the book of James, you notice the number of times he talks about brother. He mentions it in, in several different uh, situations as you go through the five chapters of James. And I think that's again quite a powerful clue as to the way in which once he regarded this brother in a fairly sort of off-handed way, didn't really have any time for this brother Jesus. But as time passed, he comes to a place where this brother is just so precious. This brother truly is the one who came to save. This brother is one who resisted temptation. When the devil was seeking to allure him into the trap of sin, there were the temptations that we read about in Matthew and Luke. There was the time in the Garden of Gethsemane when there was so much pressure on Jesus to give in. And you know what he said in the, in, in those, on, on the mountaintop? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the, the mouth of God. Jesus knew how to overcome temptation. And James, the brother of Jesus, has learned a lot of lessons now as he reflects and thinks about this precious, precious brother, Jesus. Jesus was tested. He came through the testing. And Jesus was tempted. And he came through the tempting. May God help you and me to also come through those tests that are God's way of actually maturing, developing, strengthening us to be a people who stand whatever is going on. And when we find ourselves in situations where it seems so attractive to disobey God, just like in the Garden of Eden, this fruit looks great, why not eat it? There will be times, whether you're young or old in the faith, when the enemy would still love to drag you down. But let's say, no to temptation, yes to Jesus, and let's just uh, recognise that until we see him, we will continue to be tested and tempted. But God is good, God is in charge, and he is going to bless you. May God bless you as you reflect on his word. Amen.